Good morning, church family. Glad you all are, are joining us today for our service uh, as we continue on in the book of Galatians. Uh, we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5 today. If you have your Bible, want to go ahead and grab that. Open it up to Galatians chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Uh, I've really, really enjoyed our, our time here in the book of Galatians. It's actually one of my favorite books. I really enjoy uh, kind of everything about it. I love the way Paul uh, speaks so um, passionately, so directly, so firmly in defense of the gospel, in defense of good doctrine and in opposition to false teaching, uh, yet at the same time throughout this book, and, and as we saw last week, as we uh, heard about what it means to be uh, adopted as sons and daughters, uh, just how even in the midst of his seriousness and how he can talk so firmly, at the same time, uh, Paul can, can speak and, and, and teach his uh, his churches in such a loving, caring, kind, passionate way, uh, demonstrating his love for them, uh, exercised in that way. Uh, but the title of my sermon today is The Either Or and the Both And. Uh, whenever I was in college, I was, for uh, about a year, I went to school at Ivy Tech, little community college here in town, and I had an English class. And the, the professor in this English class, I remember one day we were looking at at uh, uh, speeches and, and rhetoric and, and things like that. And we looked specifically at a speech that George W. Bush had given after the um, fall of the Twin Towers. And in the speech, he made some statement to the effect of, uh, you are either with us or you're against us. Uh, he, he made an either or statement. And our professor uh, made a, a particular point against this to say, uh, either or statements are bad. They are never a good thing to be used in rhetoric. They are, they are always just a, a negative thing. She was very adamant against either or statements, that they are exclusionary. They are, uh, they are like not appropriate in, in the use of, of rhetoric or even just in uh, the use of interacting with other people. Uh, well, I can tell you right now that my professor in that English class would have hated uh, this chapter in Galatians that we're going to read today, along with much of what the Bible has to say, as, uh, especially uh, even what Christ has to say to uh, individuals that he encounters, to, um, to the Pharisees, to uh, the Jews, just uh, everyone he encountered. I mean, constantly we see throughout the scriptures either or type of statements. That is, it is either this or it is that. And we see some of that here in the book of Galatians in chapter 5. Uh, and in this first section that we're going to look at, we see the either-or uh, statement, the either-or uh, in these first few verses, in the first 12 verses. So if you have your Bibles with me, we're going to read chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look. I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness." For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. 
Verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to this text in, in Galatians chapter 5. And Lord, as we dive in, as we read the words that you have um, pinned down for us by way of, of the Holy Spirit working through Paul, we ask that you would guide us, that you would help us to understand what it is that you would have for us to see here uh, in this portion of Scripture. I pray that we would learn from it. I pray that we would uh, not misunderstand what, uh, what you have intended for us to uh, to understand what you have intended for us to see, Lord, but that we would, uh, that we would read the scripture, that we would understand it uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, illuminate our eyes uh, to see what it is that you have in store for us here in this text. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, in this text, uh, one of the most things that, that really jumps out at us the most in this text is that Paul uses some very, very strong language in this section of, of Scripture, language that should grab our attention. It should hold our attention. The either-or that we see presented here is that either you accept justification by faith alone or you accept justification by obedience to the law. This is an, an either-or statement that Paul is making to the Galatian church. You, it is not a both and. You cannot have both of these things be true. You cannot have justification by faith and uh, justification by works. You do not work together. They are, in fact, opposed to each other, as what we see Paul communicating here in this text. He makes clear that there is no middle ground, such as the Judaizers were claiming. The Judaizers, these false teachers that had come in uh, to the Galatian church and were, were proclaiming this, this message of circumcision. They were proclaiming the need to be circumcised if you are to be justified. That to be a Christian means that you put your faith in Christ and in order to be justified, you also have to be obedient to the Mosaic law demonstrated by circumcision. And Paul's making clear here to, to the Galatian church and to these false teachers that that is decidedly false. That justification before God comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. That circumcision plays no part, plays no role in our justification, in our acceptance before God, but faith alone. This is what these false teachers were claiming, though. They were claiming a both and where Christ had declared an either or. One of the major problems that, that Paul had with what was going on in the church at Galatia was that they were forsaking their freedom that had been given them by God. They were forsaking their freedom and they were falling back into a state of slavery, a state of slavery to the law by accepting this false teaching that the Judaizers were presenting. And we can understand the folly of this, right? Why this would be a foolish thing to do to fall back from freedom into slavery, especially us as Americans. We, 
we take so much pride, right, in our, in our freedom, in our liberties. We, we brag about them to, to everyone we can and, and to the world. Uh, and in fact, even just being cooped up like we are right now, being uh, under these, uh, these, these orders, these requests for us to stay home is so abrasive to us because of our love of our liberties, our love of our freedom. Like even that, we feel it, that we're, we're not able to get out and enjoy the things that we want to do and, uh, and, and be around the people that we want to be around. We are, uh, in a sense, we almost feel like a little bit of our freedom is being infringed upon. I mean, we, we as Americans, we love our freedom and, we, and so we can understand then why it would, be, it would be foolishness to say, I am free, I have all of this freedom, but then to go back to a state of slavery. One of the major problems, uh, that, and that's, this is one of the major problems that, that Paul had, uh, because uh, imagine how, how weird this would be. So eventually this quarantine, uh, Lord willing, will end. Uh, we will then be able to go about our business. We will be able to uh, go to our, our jobs. If, if you're not able to go to your job right now, we'll be able to get out and go to concerts, go to uh, grocery stores, go to uh, vendors, you know, uh, eat out at restaurants. We will have all of these liberties, all of these freedoms, all of these abilities to, to, to get out and to do what we want to do and where we want to go, where we want to go. Those will all be restored to us in time. And imagine if at that time we were to say, okay, I can go wherever I want, I can do whatever I want, but I think it would be better if I didn't. I think it'd be better if I just stayed here, if I didn't go to restaurants. I think I'm just going to stay in my house uh, and do nothing and, and go nowhere and be around no one. Well, that, that would be foolishness. That would be, that would be silly. And, and, and honestly, America would be worse off if everyone decided to do that. It would be un-American for us to, to do that. It would be harmful to our economy. It would be harmful to, uh, to all of those around us. And, and we recognize that would be dumb, too. Like, to, to live in a state of quarantine, in a state of a lockdown, whenever we have the freedom, the ability to go where we want to go, do what we want to do, buy what we want to buy, and yet this is what the Galatian church was doing. They had been given in Christ freedom. And yet by believing this false teaching, they were putting themselves back under a yoke of slavery to the law. They were saying, well, we're going to put ourselves back under this, this slavery to the law that Paul in, in previous chapters has already told us we are freed from. We are not bound to these things anymore. Yet we're going to go ahead and just apply them to ourselves Anyway, live as slaves rather than as free people. Paul reminds them in verse 1 that they have been set free from the law by Christ. And he tells them, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And in verses 1 through 6, he lays out for them how these two are incompatible. He says in this section, in this section that you either choose the law or you choose Christ for your justification. That in order to be accepted by God, you either choose Christ or you choose to try and do it by the law. You cannot have both. They do not work together. Only one. He says that if you accept circumcision or justification by way of the law, he says that Christ is of no advantage to you in verse 2. In verse 4, he says that you are severed from Christ, that you are fallen away from grace. This chapter contains, again, some of the harshest words in all of Paul's letters that he, 
that he writes. And, and, and this should draw our attention. We should hear this because this does not just apply to the Galatian church, but to, but to Christians today, to, to those of us today living all around the world as Christians today. To accept the Judaizers' teaching, as the Galatians were, were being tempted to do, is to deny the sufficiency of Christ. It's to deny the sufficiency of the work of Christ on the cross and say that we somehow need to add to that in order to be presented as acceptable to God. John Stott says about this passage when he talks about the foolishness of it, he says this, this was tantamount to saying that Moses had to finish what Christ had begun. You see, we do not need to accept, we do not need to add anything to the work that Christ has done on the cross. And to accept that kind of teaching that these Judaizers were bringing is to deny Christ. John MacArthur says in his commentary, I love this, he says that a supplemented Christ is in fact a supplanted Christ. That to trust in human effort is to trust in the law, which is totally incompatible with grace. If we choose to, to achieve justification by way of the law or to supplement what Christ has done on the cross by our own good works, we have therefore supplanted Christ. We have removed him from the gospel. We have, we have denied his work on the cross as sufficient and said, we need to add something to it. This is utter foolishness to think that this would be the case, that Christ's sacrifice on the cross, the perfect spotless Lamb of God, was not enough to atone for our sins, that we somehow have to do something to add to it or to make it better. What foolishness, what, what pride that we see wrapped up in this, in this argument. Paul ultimately concludes in verse 6 that the only thing that counts for anything with regards to our justification is faith alone. No ounce of obedience to the law contributes to our justification, only faith in Jesus Christ alone. Nothing that we do, nothing that we say, nothing that we uh, uh, put on our bodies, nothing that we act in contributes to our justification before God, but Christ alone and faith in him. Paul then speaks directly to these false teachers that are troubling the Galatian church in verses 7 through 12. Let's look there again. Paul says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. In verse 7 of this section, the, the Greek word that's translated hindered, Paul says, you were running well. Who has hindered you from obeying the truth, Paul says. This word hindered, the Greek word that's, that's translated hindered, could also be translated as to, to cut in on or, or to get in the way of, to, to, to butt in. It's building further upon the illustration of, the, of a race that Paul uses repeatedly uh, in his writings. It's the idea of runners that are running a race, and while running this race, one runner cuts in on the other one, slowing them down, hindering them, keeping them from running to their full capacity. It reminds me of that scene from the movie Cool Runnings, if you're familiar with, uh, with that movie. 
there's this guy named Doris who's from Jamaica, and he's a great, great runner, very, very fast. He's been training hard. He, he is, has every intention and, and honestly every prospect of getting into the Olympics and probably winning a gold medal in the Olympics. And when he's at the tryouts, he lines up with all the other guys that are there to, to try out, to um, uh, do their time trials. And, and the gun goes off and he takes off. And he's been thinking about this moment his whole life and he's running hard, he's running well. But shortly after the, the start, the guy that's running next to him trips. And in, in tripping and falling down, he gets into the lane of, of Doris and causes him to stumble and to fall as well. And just like that, the, the race was over and he had lost his, his chance at, at the Olympics. All because this other runner got into his lane. It, it, he, he bumped into him, he, he moved over and got in his way and hindered him from running. That's the illustration that Paul was kind of directing us to here. It's the illustration of running a race yet having someone cut in on us, someone, someone come in and hinder us from running the way that these Judaizers, these false teachers were doing to the Galatian church. Paul has noticed that the Galatian church has had someone cut in on them, hindered them from their Christian life, and he calls them out for their corruption of God's church. And he calls them out very forcefully, very severely. But notice that even in the midst of Paul calling out the, the, the folly here, Paul has confidence that the church will agree with him. And he knows that these false teachers will receive their due penalty. In, in verse 10, he says this, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than this. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. You see, Paul has confidence that the Lord God will preserve, will protect his church, and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, these followers of Christ, these regenerate people, will in fact see the error of this teaching and will take care of the leaven that has come in to the church in Galatia. Paul's confidence is not in their human ability to, to, to take care of this problem, but rather in the Holy Spirit to, to illuminate them, to help them to see the error of this false teaching. His confidence in them is not in their own wisdom that oh, the Galatian church, now they are smart. They will not be taken advantage of. No, his, his confidence is in the Holy Spirit to preserve them, to help them to see and understand God's word clearly. And he says that they will receive their due penalty talking about these false teachers. What is their due penalty? Well, uh, in the book of Jude, we see what will in fact become of false teachers. In Jude, verses 12 and 13, there's only one chapter in Jude. Uh, Jude, verses 12 and 13, we read this. This is about false teachers, this whole section. This is one little bit of it. These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted Wild waves of the sea, casting up their foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. These are the severe words with which uh, the, the book of Jude, Jude writes uh, concerning false teachers. And, and Paul says these people will receive their due penalty, knowing what is to come for false teachers. And in fact, goes on to say in the end of this section, he says, I wish that they would emasculate themselves. Now we hear this phrase, and, and honestly, it is a little bit shocking to us and probably was at least to a point to his readers then. And yet uh, there is along with this, this, this statement of I wish they would emasculate themselves. 
uh, would, when Paul says this, it would probably be less shocking to them, but what they would do is they would immediately connect that with the worship of, of false gods. There were prophets, there were worshipers of other gods, false deities, who would literally, they would mutilate their body in order to somehow try and please the God, in, in order to appease their gods, their false gods. And one of the ways that they would do that is that they would, in fact, emasculate themselves. So by saying this, Paul is saying, I wish these people would go ahead and do this thing to identify them with what they really are, and that is someone who worships a false god, a false understanding of who God is, is what Paul is saying. That's why he says this, I wish they would emasculate themselves. But this is the either or. The either or is that either we accept obedience to the law, to good works, as necessary for our justification, or we accept the all-sufficiency of Christ and his death for our justification. It is not a both and, it is an either or. And trusting in Christ's work alone for our justification means that we are now free from bondage to the law. This is what, what we call Christian liberty. Christian liberty means that we do not rely on external things to be accepted by God. It means we do not need extra regulations uh, in order to make ourselves more holy. It means that we can enjoy all the good things that God has given us without reservation because we are free from external ceremonial acts as a mode of appeasing God. We now have liberty, we have freedom as Christians, as followers of Christ to enjoy all the benefits that God has given us, all the blessings, all the good things in this life without reservation, knowing that we are free from the law. We are free from extra regulations in order to be accepted by God, but we are accepted by faith in him alone. And on that basis, we are declared righteous. But along with this, though, Paul gives a warning in verse 13. In verse 13 of Galatians chapter 5, Paul says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. There you are. We are called to freedom. He says the same thing uh, that he says uh, in verse 5, where he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. So in verse 13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. What Paul is, is saying here is he wants to, to his readers to have a healthy understanding of what true freedom actually is. And we need to understand it too, what it, what it truly means to be free. Because you see, we live in a world today, especially the Western world, as I just talked about, uh, American liberty, American freedom. We live in a, in a culture today that, that many people have a gross misunderstanding about what it truly means to actually be free. Most people think to be free means that we have no rules at all. That true freedom means we can literally do whatever it is that comes into our head and we're allowed to do that. If you were to, to go and poll people right now, that's probably what they're going to say is freedom means to be able to do whatever you want to do. But I would argue that true freedom, a proper understanding of freedom, is not just being able to do whatever you want, but true freedom is being able to do what you ought being able to do what we ought to do, not just whatever we want to do. And this is where we get to uh, the, the second part of, of my sermon, the both and. We've seen the either or. With regards to our justification before God, it is either Christ or the law. There is, they do not mesh. They do, they do not require both. But it is either justification by 
uh, Christ or justification by the law, which as we know is impossible. No one can keep the law perfectly. But now we get to the both and. In verse 16, Paul says this, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The only true life is life in the spirit because only those who are filled with the spirit can do what they ought to do. Not just what they want to do, but what they ought to do. The Holy Spirit redirects our desires and aligns them with what is pleasing to God. And here's the thing, glorifying, pleasing God is what we as human beings were designed to do. It's what we were designed for, and, and, and that is why the Westminster Confession said is the chief end of man, right? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. We were created to glorify God. It's what we were created, it's what we were designed for, and now it is made possible by the work of the Holy Spirit. We are made able to glorify God, able to please God only because of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. This is why I say now we have a both and instead of just an either or. Now that we have been justified and we walk in the Spirit by faith and we do good deeds. In fact, all who have been justified and filled with the Holy Spirit will produce good works. That's why Galatians lays out for us. What is this? What the, in, in the end of chapter 5, what do we have? We have the fruit of the Spirit in verses 22 and following. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. You see, the life of a believer, one who has been justified by faith alone, will produce good works. The life that we now live, we live according to the Spirit, we live by faith, and we do good works. We produce the fruit of the Spirit's work in our life. These are the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of a Spirit-filled life. And yet Paul gives the command to walk by the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. We are called to be obedient to the Spirit's leading and so please God. So it might seem as we hear Paul, Paul giving us this command, as we hear Paul saying to be obedient to the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, there's a temptation probably to think, well, doesn't that sound like slavery? Like, isn't that falling right back into uh, slavery, not freedom. If I'm truly free, I should be able to do whatever I want to do and however I want to do it. But when we understand what true freedom is, it means that now we are free to do what we ought. The things that are pleasing to God, the fruit of the Spirit, only come about by the Spirit's work in our life. Realize that obedience to the Lord is not an act of slavery, but an act from freedom, an act of love, an act of devotion. No one who's ever been given the gift of God's love, the gift of God's grace, will then turn around and despise God for that, but rather will love God, will desire to please him, will desire to obey him. And his laws are not a, a burden to us anymore. His commands, obedience to him is not a burden, but rather a, a joy because our desires have been redirected. As Paul says in Romans chapter six, 
The things that I want to do when we struggle with sin, the things that I want to do are not what I do. And the things that I don't want to do are the very things I do. In other words, my desires have been changed. I desire to please God. I desire to honor God and glorify God. That is not slavery, but rather freedom in Christ that causes us to do that, to desire those things. We are called here to be what we were created to be, to glorify God, to please God, and we are given the ability to do so by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, keep in step with the Holy Spirit, as Paul says. Living the Christian life now consists of faith and obedience which produces the fruit of the Spirit. As we, as we close here, I just want to, uh, to, to offer a few kind of words of, of encouragement to, to you today. First of all, if you are in Christ, then rest and embrace uh, your Christian freedom. Embrace, rest in your Christian freedom. Romans 8, 1 through 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Brothers and sisters, if you have been freed from slavery to sin, freed from slavery to the law through the justifying work of Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to rest in that. Take joy in that. Embrace the freedom that, that is offered to us in Christ. More than that, Live your life obedient to the Spirit of God and to His Word. And, and, and this may sound really complicated, and people make it more complicated than it is. To walk according to the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, is not to be some sort of like monk or, or guru who is like really good at meditating and like super in tune with, with the Holy Spirit or some sort of mystical thing. No, if you want to walk and, and be in step with the Spirit, read God's Word. Read God's word and allow the Holy Spirit to direct you in that. If you want to know what we are called to do as believers, what is the will of God for us? It is all written for us in his word. And the Holy Spirit is what illuminates God's word for us, what helps us to apply it to our lives, what helps us to walk in that. So be in God's word. Be obedient to God's word and the Holy Spirit. And if you are listening today, watching today, and you do not know Christ, Maybe you've been relying on something that you do as a way to be justified, whether it's going to church. I mean, if, if that's the case for you, then you are really in trouble right now since no one's allowed to go to church. But it may be going to church. It may be not drinking alcohol. It may be uh, uh, doing a certain amount of hours of, of work for the community. Wh whatever it is, whatever it is that, that you think is somehow earning you favor before God, I encourage you to, to see what Paul has written here for us, that nothing that we do plays any role in our being justified before God. That is, if you are relying still on something that you do, on some action that you, uh, that you do, some behavior of yours to be pleasing before God or somehow be justified before him, you are dead in your sin. You have never put your faith in Christ and him alone and recognizing his all-sufficiency for your righteousness. That his death on the cross was enough. You need to add nothing to it. So I would encourage you today to put your faith in Christ alone for your justification. Don't rely on anything that you can do, but rather trust only in Christ and his finished work on the cross. Only then will you be free. If that is not you, you are still a slave. So I would encourage you 
Freedom is available for you in Christ if you would just believe. If you would bow your heads with me. God, thank you so much for your word and for the gospel. Lord, it is just so impressive to me that, that even today, even this week, as I know, I have failed in, in obeying your word perfectly. I have failed in living a perfectly righteous life. I have failed miserably, in fact. And yet, God, I know that that is not the basis for my righteousness on how well I perform, but it is in Christ's finished work on the cross. And by his work, I now have freedom. Lord, I pray that that would be true for all of us that are hearing this today, that we would not put our faith in man-made religion, that we would not trust in our own efforts or in our obedience to the law or in our attendance to church or whatever else, that we would trust only in Christ for our justification. And Lord, from there, I pray that you would help us to keep in step with the Spirit as Paul has commanded us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk according to the Spirit, to, to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And Lord, I pray that, uh, that we would do so by way of reading your word, by meditating on it, by, uh, by putting it into practice, by applying it to our lives. Lord, only then will we be walking according to the Spirit. It is impossible for us to walk according to the Spirit if we are outside of God's word. I pray that we would be in, in your word. I pray that we would be learning from it and that we would be saturated in it in everything that we say, everything that we do. Thank you again, God, for your good grace that you have so freely bestowed upon us in Christ. And may we rest in that 